Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we just ask that you would take this time that we have dedicated to your worship, and Lord, that you would be able to, that we would allow you to do the work that you want to do in each heart here today. We pray that you would remind us that each song that is sung is not sung for our benefit, but is sung for your glory. We pray that you would bless the special music this morning, Lord, the preaching. Lord, we ask that you would take the offering, the baptism that will be at the end of the service, each as an act of worship to glorify your name. Lord, we ask that you would let us partake in this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And turn to Genesis chapter 45, and we'll get there in just a few moments. Everyone that was here for Sunday school this morning uh, got the introduction to the message, and that is the cause of worldwide missions. Amen. That is the purpose the church is here for, is to reach out into the world with the gospel. You know, we believe that Jesus can save souls. Amen. And if we read our Bible and understand what it says, souls that are not saved will spend an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And you can preach about the fire and all the other things, but the greatest thing in the greatest punishment hell offers is separation from God. That is the greatest loss. And yet, someone may even be thinking this morning, well, I don't necessarily have God in every part of my life. I, uh, wait a minute. Every unsafe person in this world connects because God gives us this world to live in, even in catastrophes. What is going on in Haiti? There's still air to breathe. There's still other people that are coming to help you. Why do people do good? I mean, we just got through the Christmas season, one of the great testimonies to the goodness of God. Now, of course, man perverts everything, doesn't he? But why do we buy gifts for other people at Christmas time? Because we're trying to imitate God, that's why. God gave his son, and we try to give other people gifts. Now, we should be giving all year round, amen? But Christmas is a special time people give. Why? Because they're reminded of who God, even, who God is. Even the most unsaved, unregenerate person is still touched. i, I got to give somebody something. And yet, we look at the duty at hand. We look at the great task, and, and I want to give you some good reports. The most encouraging meeting I think I attend in a year was the one I just got back from. If, if you find me just staring a little vacantly into the uh, distance, uh, we traveled 3,200 miles from Sunday afternoon, got back uh, Friday night, and uh, tried to get a little rest yesterday. But uh, uh, as you get older, you find out that kind of driving isn't as easy as it used to be. Uh, but in the meeting, someone once said, Pastor, I hope you had a great vacation. Uh, that was not a vacation, let me tell you. Uh, there was not one night that uh, got a full night's rest, but uh, was able to fellowship 
with many other pastors. Uh, we got to uh, spend a little bit of time with Brother Clayton. And by the way, he's going to be coming, Lord willing, this October to preach for us again. And looking forward to that. And uh, we helped, uh, uh, we took on seven different church planners for one year support. Uh, there were 11 other uh, mission works that we helped with one-time gifts. And uh, we had some extra uh, come in that was designated. We, uh, as a church, agreed to take $5,000 out of our general fund. And then, uh, never the same, uh, that is our music publishing uh, company. Uh, not company. We publish music here through the church. Uh, songs like the one that was sung this morning. My wife wrote that song years ago when we were on deputation ourselves. And... Uh, uh, they put in a thousand dollars. A special gift came in. I think our total giving this year was over uh, seventy-two hundred dollars to Mission Works, and that is something to praise the Lord about. But um, and I don't really know how to tell you this other than to say thank you. And I want to give uh, a testimony of what happened at the meeting. Brother Davison was preaching the first night. He was preaching on freely. Ye have received, freely give. And at the end of his message, uh, he said, I want you all to be, and then hesitated a moment, he said, I want you all to be a Pete Montoro. And I'm sitting there going, whoa, wait, 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 wait a minute. He says, last year, and I remember having a slight conversation with him, he said, Brother Montoro, what happened to your church? I said, well, our church has finally gotten to the point to where we can give back. And I said, you remember, and he told the story in 1997 uh, at the uh, fall meeting of the Baptist Bible Fellowship where they raised $42,000 for us to buy our building at that meeting. And uh, I told Brother Davidson, we have been given so much, we want to give back what has been given to us. Now, there's no way... I have any money. But you know what happens? This church allows us to give. And so I wanted to share that testimony. There are, and everywhere I went for the rest of me, oh, you're the one they're talking about. I wanted to say, no, it's not me. It's my church. And it's not my church. It's the Lord's church. And it's the spirit of giving that the Lord has put in our people. That's the kind of testimony a church ought to have. That's how you're going to be the watchman that was talked about in the song. Amen? And yet, that's only a small part of the responsibilities that we have in world evangelism. We've got to help and we've got to support financially. But as our brother said in Sunday school this morning, the greatest gift you can give is prayer. Now, prayer doesn't make God do things. You've got to get that out of your head. God does not need your prayers to get something accomplished. I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but years ago, I can't even remember, somebody gave me a gift for Christmas. It was a Frank Peretti novel. And uh, I read that thing, and all I wanted to do when I was done is spit in it and throw it away. Great entertainment. 
absolutely blasphemous theology. It painted a God that could not move unless people prayed to give him power to do something. That's not the God of the Bible. You pray. Because when you pray, God gets you out of the way so he can do what he wanted to do in the first place. The only hindrance to our answered prayers almost all the time is not the work of the devil. It's not the Democrats, I'm sorry, or Republicans. It's not the politicians. It's our unrepentant hearts. We'll surrender to God in every area of our life, but one. We'll give everything to God, but we'll struggle with something. And that something keeps us from being, well, it, it doesn't keep us, it makes us an obstacle to God's grace. And that's what I want to preach about this morning. You see, it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to get pulled out of the way. And when we do, we not only hinder God's work in our life, we hinder God's work all around us. Now, there are a few men in the Old Testament that's greater in position and respect and than Jacob. His name was changed to Israel. God gave him that testimony. He says, as a prince... Thou hast power with man and with God. And what did he say? And hast prevailed. He said, you are a great man. And I want us to just look at some verses that were very late in Jacob's life. In chapter 45 of the book of Genesis, we're going to start reading verse 25. It says, and they, these are the sons of Israel, minus Joseph, of course. And they went up out of Egypt. And came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob, their father, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had sent unto them. And when he saw the wagons, which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. That last phrase, the spirit of Jacob, their father revived. You see, Jacob believed in God, did he not? Jacob believed in God all his life. But it wasn't until this very advanced time, 17 years before he would die, he lived to 130 years old. So 130 minus 17 is 113 years old. Did I do my math right? I want you to think this morning. If you can think about that, you'll think about the rest of the message. Amen? Uh, 113 years of his life. Wait a minute. Jacob lived to 147. There we go. The last 17, he was... Let's, let's get the math right. 147. He was 120 years old. And Jacob 
had spent most of his life wrestling with God. Now, how many of you have ever wrestled with the Lord? I'm just not quite sure you're right about this thing. I mean, it is so easy for us as human beings to make God subject to our own reasoning ability. Who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust God? Or are you going to trust yourself? And yet, nine times out of ten, we talk about trusting God while we are, in all actuality, trusting ourselves. And I want us to spend a few minutes just looking at the life of Jacob, but I want you to put a question in there. Are you going to wait till the wagons come? Are you going to wait until the wagons come? Now, Jacob had no way of knowing in all of the things that were going on in his life as the sons, his sons came to him and said, Dad, we've got to go down into Egypt to buy food or we're going to starve. And before they even finished it, Benjamin's not going. You see, when they'd been down there the first time, they didn't know it was Joseph had said, unless you bring your younger brother down, I'm not going to be able to guarantee or to allow you to traffic in the land because I think you're spies. Now, that Jacob didn't, I mean, Joseph didn't really believe his brothers were spies, but he wanted to see his brother Benjamin. And God was using all of these things, and Jacob was there. He said, listen, Joseph is not. Remember what his brothers had done? They had dipped his coat in the blood of a goat. This was before we had DNA testing and all of those things. They had sold him as a slave to the Midianites. And and all they said when they came home is, Father, we found this in the field. Know whether it is thy son's coat or no. How many remember what Jacob's response was? He said, I'm going to go to my grave mourning my son. That didn't mean that he was going to kill himself or try to shorten his life in some way. Or He had no idea where his son's grave was. In fact, his son wasn't even in the grave. He thought that his son was in the belly of some beast. And what he meant with those words was that he was going to spend every day God gave him life expressing sorrow for the loss of his son. Have you ever met anybody like that? The world's full of people who have allowed their lives to be overcome with some tragic event. Are you going to trust God? Or are you going to trust yourself? Now, I want to tell you something. God never gave up on Jacob. God never stopped working in Jacob's life. But I want to tell you something. Jacob stopped God from doing a lot of the things God wanted to do in Jacob's life. Because he blamed himself for the tragedy of his son's death. Who had sent Joseph to find his brethren? 
Why? Jacob had. He said, it's my fault. I shouldn't have sent my son out. I should have sent him protected. I shouldn't have sent him all by himself. Now he's dead. And I'll never see him again. Now, in the book of Hebrews, we have something Jacob didn't have. We have the complete Bible. And and I've been quoting this verse a lot, and I tend to quote it a lot until Jesus comes back. For without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Jacob had a problem with that last phrase. He knew God is. You say, preacher, you mean was, right? No, God always is. He was, is, 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 and always will be is. And I know that's not correct grammar, but that's the only way to explain God. And Jacob had no problem believing in God. But he had a problem believing God is good when he got Saul the bloodstained coat. Jacob was 17 years old. He would spend 13 years in slavery. The last few years of that time, eight years or so, Jacob spent in the palace of Pharaoh as the ruler over the land of Egypt. Yet, he still had no freedom to go to his father. He had no freedom to, to do anything. He was, he was Pharaoh's servant. He couldn't leave. And then he sees his brothers. And he says, I've got to figure some way to get Benjamin down here. I wonder if my brothers are the same men that they were when they sold me as a slave. And Jacob, I mean, Joseph did these things and he made a requirement. He says, you've got to bring your youngest brother. Jacob had no way of knowing that in order to have Joseph come back to him, he had to let go of Benjamin. And so what did he do? He held on to Benjamin. He wouldn't let go. He wouldn't give up until he was faced with the starvation of his family or the possibility of losing Benjamin. And I want you to look with me in the Bible at Jacob's words here. And let's go back to chapter 43. In verse 12, these are Joseph's, uh, Jacob's word, and we won't read the whole thing, but in verse 12 he says, And take double money in your hand, and money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks, carry it again in your hand, peradventure it was an oversight. Take also your brother, arise and go again unto the man. And God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may send you away your other brother and Benjamin, Now, look at this last phrase. If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Can you hear the sorrow in his voice as he said these things? Can you hear what Jacob is saying? He's saying, I have no choice. God, you put me in a box. You want to take away my children from me. Now, did God want to take away Jacob's children? Absolutely not. 
If Joseph had not been sold into slavery, if he had not endured the lies of Potiphar's wife, if he had not been faithful in his service in the prison, he never would have been called before Pharaoh. And he wouldn't be in the place where God wanted him to be to save his family and their wealth and their future. When we talk about God's will, any honest person would say, I I want God's will. But what if it means being sold as a slave? Do you still want God's will? What if it means being lied about and accused of vile things that you had fought against as Joseph was? You know, one thing that we never see in the life of Joseph that was so a part of his father's life is we never see Joseph sitting down and saying, I give up, I'm just going to die mourning for my son. He was faithful in his service in Potiphar's house. When Potiphar's wife lied about him, he was faithful in his servants in the dungeon. He cared enough about those Egyptians to interpret their dreams and ask God, I mean, I just don't understand that. And yet Joseph was faithful when he was in the palace of Pharaoh. You know, he could have made things pretty miserable on Mrs. Potiphar, couldn't he? It could have been time for a little payback. But Joseph never did that. In fact, his brothers were in his power. He could have had them all executed. And as they were standing on their gallows, he said, I'm Joseph. You guys are going to die. And there's nothing they could have done about it. That wasn't the life of Joseph. He said, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. I'm just going to keep serving God no matter what happens. Jacob had no way of knowing that letting go of Benjamin would bring back Joseph. And when he finally lets go and puts his trust in God, It's not a positive, faithful trust in the goodness of God and in what God is doing. It is a sad despair saying, okay, God, if you want to kill my children, you can kill my children. I I, I don't know what else to do. You see, Jacob finally gave the burden to God. But I want to challenge you something. The 13 years that Jacob spent in Egypt were wasted years in Joseph's and Jacob's life. And Jacob never got back those wasted years. He never got back that time. In fact, when he stood before Pharaoh, let's go to chapter 47 of the book of Genesis. Chapter 47, we'll read verses 9 and 10. Uh, Verse 8, Pharaoh looks at this man and he said, how old art thou? You see, the average lifespan, if I understand my history correctly, of the Egyptians, there were a few exceptions to this, but most Egyptians died in their 50s. An old man in Egypt was 55 years old. You say, well, 
oh, they didn't have good medical care. And No, they were wicked people. And they lived a very debased and immoral lifestyle. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. I mean, sin will kill you. That's why God calls it sin. Amen. And so you have this Pharaoh looking at this old man who is more than double the average lifespan. And he says, how old are you? And let's read here. In verse 9, And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are a hundred and thirty years. Few and evil. What a testimony to the goodness of God. He's saying, you're being sarcastic, aren't you, Pastor? Just a little. What a testimony to God's work in Jacob's life. He says, few and evil. Have been the days. Let's finish reading it here. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been, and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out before Pharaoh. I wonder what Pharaoh thought of God after Jacob was done telling him about him. Would he think God is good? Would he but want, would Pharaoh want to have faith in the God that Jacob worshipped? That's what happens when we get distracted and pulled away from the things that God wants us to do in our lives. But I want to look into Jacob's life just a little deeper here to find the reason why Jacob was doing these things. You see, Jacob had set up a pattern in his life all the way along. Have you ever met anybody that just had to fight about everything? I know it's a wheel. And I know they've been around for millennia. But what makes a wheel a wheel? I gotta I gotta explore this and I gotta think about this thing and I I gotta put this together. Well, while you're doing that. I'm going to get the wheels on the van set up and I'm going places. You can sit there and think about it and have to reinvent the wheel in your own mind if you so choose. But I'd rather put them on the van and go to a home missions conference and help people start churches. Amen. You see, Jacob, when he first really met God, was at a place called Bethel. How many of you remember what Jacob did? See, this is why Sunday school is so important. If you're in Sunday school the normal time and know the stories, then we don't have to go through the whole story in our preaching time. And the simple truth of the matter was Jacob made a deal with God. He vowed a vow and he said, Okay, God, if you'll keep your word, if you'll let me come home uh, in peace uh, to my father's house, you'll take care of Esau. He said, You can be my God. Man, God was impressed. No, God had already made the promise to Abraham, now hadn't he? He said, listen, Jacob, I'm going to keep my word. You can play these little games in your own heart and mind, but I'm God. And I'm good whether you choose to believe it or not. I may remember what happened the night before he met his brother Esau. 
He had separated the whole families and put everybody apart. And someone said he was doing that so he could protect his own soul, even at the expense of all of his wives and children and all of these things. I'm, I'm not quite sure about that, but I'll tell you what I am sure about. He was struggling with God. And so the Lord Jesus showed up in person that night and allowed Jacob to wrestle with him all night. Somebody sent me one of those beautiful email things and it says how to live a happy life or something and one of the slides says, you can get upset with God when you need to. He can handle it. And I'm sitting here going, oh my. What a messed up understanding of God. God can handle your misunderstanding of his work. He's bigger than that. Amen. But when we do that, we accuse God of doing wrong. We we accuse him of being less than good. And when that happens, we pull ourselves off to a sidetrack. We, we put ourselves on a tangent. We, we are fi- we'll find yourself spinning away from the truths of God and His Word. And you wonder why you feel so isolated and so lonely and so forsaken. God has not moved, my friend. And when we make decisions in our life today that move us away from God... I want to promise you, you're going to make decisions in your future that are going to move you farther away. (coughs) But you see, God knew the wagons were coming. He hadn't given up on Jacob. After the second trip into Egypt, the sons come back. And they look at him and they say, Joseph's still alive. He's ruler over the land of Egypt. And it said that Jacob's heart fainted within him. He believed them not. You know why he couldn't believe them? Because he was too wrapped up in his own sorrow to accept God's blessings. And finally... They keep telling him, Dad, you don't understand. We talked to him. He spoke to us. He was the man. And and you wonder, as you read the story here, if Joseph didn't have in his mind as smart a man as his father was and as ability to deal and wheel and deal with Laban, his father-in-law, and all these things we read in the Bible. He said, they said, he asked straightly our state. He asked us like he knew things about us. I think Joseph may have been asking these questions, hoping that his father would figure out who was asking the questions and just come down to the land of Egypt. I can't prove that, but I just wonder if that wasn't the case. I mean, how did he ask them all these questions and nobody figure out? Wait a minute. We didn't tell him we had a little brother at first. Or we didn't make this statement. We, why is he so interested in that old man who's our father? 
It should have dawned on them. But everybody was so wrapped up in what they were doing, they couldn't see God's goodness working through the whole situation. You see, Jacob had set the stage early in his life to live an entire life of struggling and fighting against God. But when the wagons came, things finally changed. Amen? All of a sudden, Jacob could look and he said, Wait a minute, God is so good. He, he worked this whole thing out. When he finally understood what the famine was going to do to he and his family and how that only Joseph being in the land of Egypt would save them all from poverty and starvation. Wow, God sure did a great work. I believe that's why Joseph never, Jacob never mentions what his sons did to Joseph. Because Jacob was... I can see God's hand now. I'm not going to worry about what happened in the past. I wasted my life fussing with God. I'm not going to spend the rest of my life trying to do what I did before. Now that's the introduction. Hopefully the sermon won't be quite as long as the intro, okay? But God has set us up. He has set our church as a watchman. Amen. We have responsibilities. But each one of our members is important. The Bible pictures the church as the body of Christ. And we say, yes, yes, I understand that every cell in my body is important. Well, just hit a few of them with the wrong hammer. You'll find out how important the tip of that little finger is real fast, now won't you? Just step on something or stub your little toe in the middle of the night. I mean, I don't know why that little toe is there. I'm sure God, it's because God is good, but I'll tell you what. He catches on things. Anybody else ever had that problem? I mean, you're just sitting there and you are in pain. You know what the worst thing is? Nothing bad really happened. I mean, it's not broke. It's not uh, cut off. It's not, but it just hurts like it is. Now, listen. Every member of our church is important. And when one member gets distracted, guess what happens? It hinders God's work. When one person allows themselves to stop believing that God is good, other people around them, are going to be hindered in their understanding of the goodness of God. That's what happened in Jacob's life. And I want to ask you the question we asked at the beginning. Are you going to wait till the wagons come to get right with God? 
Are you going to wait until the wagons show up before you let go of that thing that God is, is trying to take away from you so that your attention can be fully focused on Him instead of whatever that might be? Are you making decisions today that are going to set up what's going to happen ten years from now and pulling you farther and farther away from the love of God? We live in a day when being married twenty years means absolutely nothing in divorce court. It's terrifying. How could you invest that much of your life in another human being and just walk out? Well, it's real simple. You hadn't been investing in them for a long time. There was nothing left. And that's why it happens. Why do people come for months or years and then disappear? Why? It's real easy. Decisions were made to keep moving farther and farther away till there's nothing left. And they just walk away. Let me tell you something. You can't walk away from Jesus. But you can lose your ability to serve him. That's the most terrifying thing I know of in this life. And I want to challenge us today. To think about the life of Jacob. I can tell you the story of a man I counted as a friend in a church I served in many, many years ago. And he had uh, helped me in doing certain jobs. I was a bus mechanic and he had come out and sanded down the buses with me and he said, I got lots of time now. I'm dying with cancer, but I'm going to spend some time serving the Lord until I go home. He was a young man. He was in his early 50s. And he said, You see, I got laid off. He said, All my life I'd been working, all my life I had good money. He had a factory job, great benefits, the whole thing, everything that you could wish. And he lost his job. And he said, the stress that I went through when I lost my job, he said, I just couldn't deal with it. And the doctors tell me that that's why I have cancer today. This was his story, his testimony. We can get so wrapped up in how we're going to solve our problems that we actually kill ourselves and stop God from doing His work. Now, I want to challenge you not to make God bring the wagons because it may be the rapture. What are you going to do when you stand before God and realize that you've wasted years of your life? wrapped up in something that God had already solved years ago. There are people that won't trust Jesus as their Savior because they can't believe in God that is good. Say, well, Pastor, don't you understand all the suffering that's going on in Haiti right now? Oh, yes, I do. 
I can't understand it all. I'm just a simple human being. But there's an awful lot of suffering going on. There are people that are dying for no other reason than the fact that other people are responsible for bringing them what they need to live. Now, that's, that is the greatest tragedy I know. I heard one of the newspaper, or one of the radio reporters, he said, we found a UNICEF warehouse. It's the, the goods are stacked 30 feet high in this warehouse. And there's no one here, and there's no way to get the stuff off the shelves and get it to the people. Now, that's tragedy, isn't it? But that's not a testimony to the lack of God's goodness. That's a testimony to the ineptness of man now, isn't it? And what we have to do is we have to look at God. Don't make God bring the wagons. You've got a complete scripture. Amen? Don't make God bring the wagons for you to give up on what you're fighting with. Don't wrestle with God. You're going to lose. You can't win. Surrender to Him today in salvation. Amen? You cannot get back the years that you wasted serving the devil. Can't happen. But I'll tell you what, you can serve God from this day forward. Amen? The Bible says that that root of bitterness springing up defiles many. You can't handle something that God has allowed in your life. And it stops you from believing that He is good and serving Him. Let me warn you, you will pay for that, not God. Jacob's testimony, few and evil have been the days of the years of my pilgrimage. I don't want that testimony. I want the testimony of, I can't believe that little church in New York City is doing what they can to help, world, to help home missions in this country. I like that better, don't you? And that's not mine, even though Brother Davidson looks to me as the pastor. I'm the guy giving away all the money. I can't tell you uh, how much fun it is to go to that conference. I don't sleep. I don't get to... We we do eat. But uh, I'll tell you, uh, it is more, more enjoyment and more joy than doing anything else is being able to stand up and say, let's help this preacher. $50 a month for a year, and then give him a check for the whole year's support so he can do what he needs to do. That's what we did. And say, we've got a preacher out on Long Island. He got a Jehovah's Witness building. There's no windows in their auditorium. You got to have windows. But I guess that's one of their quirky little things that they do. And so we gave him $500 to help buy windows. And I mean, we did that with 17 different preachers. And I'll tell you what, our, we could have given away five times what we took. But I'll tell you what, we took what we could. 
And God did what he does. Amen? Let's not. I mean, let's look today. What's happening in your life right now? What's going on? What is God dealing with you about? Don't wrestle with God all night. The blessings are when we surrender. Amen? The blessings are when we stop trying to figure everything out on our own. And just trust God and His Word. You see, God is. I don't think anyone here would question that. But He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. God is good. Even when we can't see the good, God is still good. Even when Jacob, as he in his own mind, if I be bereaved, I'm bereaved. I give up in total despair. God's, God had to have been smiling in heaven and say, you, you silly little man, if you could only see what I have in store for you. Then the wagon showed up. And Jacob could only say, I've wasted my life. Where are you in our story this morning? I hope you're not at the end saying, I've wasted my life. Because as long as God gives you life, he will keep you from wasting it. If you'll serve him with it. Amen? If you're making a decision, if you're struggling with God today, give up. Let Him win. You'll be better off for it. Is God trying to take something from you? But I can't surrender this thing, whatever it might happen to be. Jacob it was Benjamin. He just couldn't give up on that son. He loved his mother. She only had two sons. Joseph was gone. He was dead. Jacob knew that. He had seen the bloody coat. Now they were going to take Benjamin away. And Simeon, his other son, was already a prisoner there in Egypt, and he knew he wasn't going to see Simeon again. Finally, in despair, he gives up. What did Jesus say? He said, I've come that you might have life and that life more abundantly. He said, I want you to pray and ask the Father in, in my name that you may receive that your, what's the next word? Joy might be full. Say, but God doesn't answer my prayers. Well, maybe your prayers need fixing. Amen. Learn how to pray God's way and He'll answer those prayers. And He'll give you more joy than you could ever have. And on top of that, you'll fulfill your responsibilities to serve the Lord. Our church needs every member Serve God together. If we don't have that, guess what happens? We're going to be hindered in what we can do.
and what we can accomplish. Don't make God bring the wagons to prove that you'd wasted time on wrong decisions. Surrender to him today and let him do his work. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we just ask that you would take the life of Jacob as we have looked at it this morning and that you would burn these truths into our souls. Lord, it would be impossible for me to walk up and down these aisles and touch upon each person and name the things in their life that they're wrapped up in and not willing to give up, the things they're arguing with God about. I'm, I'm not God. I can't see into their souls, but you can. And Lord, we ask that you would use this time we call invitation as a time of surrender in the hearts of those who are willing That you would show them the, the futility, the worthlessness of striving against God. That we would surrender to His will in the simplest things and in everything that we know and let God do His work. I don't believe any person in this room would frame with their lips, I don't believe God is good, yet... We accuse you of wrongdoing in so many ways by simply not trusting in you. Lord, we just ask that you would do your work. We ask that you be glorified during this time of invitation. That not one of us would withhold our souls from thee. That we not wait until the wagons come to believe that God is good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation.